Hi everyone, I'm Rosie Kane and this is And Fat, a podcast where we use oral histories to examine the intersections between various identities and fatness. On this episode, we'll hear from Sheena, Liz, and Lai about their experiences identifying as non-binary and fat. Hi everyone, welcome to this first episode of And Fat. On this episode, we'll be exploring the intersections of identity between non-binary and fat and hear from three different people about their experiences identifying as both non-binary and fat. I did want to give a quick trigger warning, which I've included in the description, but in this episode, discussions of histories with disordered eating and eating disorders will occur. No behaviors are mentioned. There is also one mention of weight using a specific number. Before we jump into the interviews, I wanted to discuss a bit about how this podcast got started. This podcast is part of an oral history project I conducted in a graduate-level oral history class. I am a student pursuing a master's in public history, and I'm fascinated with social history, gender history, and how common notions about beauty standards, fat phobia, and the glorification of thinness developed historically and came to the forefront of consciousness in our society. When my oral history class was assigned with a project that encompassed conducting oral history projects over the course of the semester, transcribing them, archiving them, and presenting them in some way, I knew I wanted to learn more about other people's experiences with fatness. Just this year, I have actually been on my own journey with coming to terms with fatness, understanding fatness, and moving through the world as a fat woman, having been through um, intensive therapy for an eating disorder where I was exposed to these new ideas of acceptance and body neutrality and things like that in a controlled and safe environment where those ideas felt welcome to be explored and helped me come to terms with the body that I was living in. Since fatness can be a tricky thing for some people to discuss due to what I believe is rampant fat phobia throughout our society, I found myself really interested in how other people were experiencing these things. Um, I knew I couldn't be the only one facing negative comments and negative thoughts that infiltrated my mind based off of what I was seeing on social media and portrayed in other places. And I knew, especially as a conventionally pretty and white young cis woman, that for other people, there was probably a higher chance that they were facing discrimination because of their bodies in much more blatant, obvious, and harmful ways than I was. So to really explore this idea of fatness and lived experiences in a fat body, especially amongst people with identities that might be discriminated against in more blatant ways, I considered doing projects surrounding health at every size, body positivity, or other movements that I've seen across social media. However, I found myself drawn to giving a voice to a community that's often spoken over in these spaces or not heard at all, the non-binary community. As a fat, cisgender woman, I approached this topic carefully, not wanting to insert myself into a community where I was unwelcome. In an attempt to find narrators, I turned to Twitter and put out a call for people who may be interested in sharing their life story with me, especially discussing their identities as non-binary and fat. I was lucky to have a Twitter user, Jay, whose handle is ComfyFat, retweet my call for narrators. 
Jay was actually an inspiration for this project, someone who identifies as non-binary and fat, whom I had followed on social media and appreciated for their thoughts and opinions on questions that I was hoping to dive deeper into. I was extremely grateful to have interest in my project, and after explaining it, narrowing down timelines, and setting up virtual recording sessions due to the nature of COVID-19, I had found three wonderful narrators who I was eager to get to know, Sheena, Liz, and Lai, and you'll hear more about their stories and more from them soon. My narrators did all give permission for their oral histories to be recorded, transcribed, and saved in a archive, which is available for them and future researchers if anyone should ever be interested. They also gave me permission to include clips of their oral histories in this podcast, and due to the nature of a podcast such as this, uh, just clips of each interview will be incorporated throughout. Also, out of respect for my narrators and their privacy, only their first names will be used during this podcast. I should also mention that this was my first time ever conducting an oral history, and I was terrified. (laughs) I never minded talking to people in general, being quite extroverted, but when you've never met someone before and you're sitting on a webcam waiting for them to hop on so you can ask them questions (laughs) about their identity and their life for a class project things start to get a little nerve-wracking. Luckily, things went smoothly, and my narrators were extremely open and insightful in the stories and thoughts they shared. I'm extremely grateful to them and very lucky that they participated in this project, and I got to learn more about them, and now so will you. So now I will let each of my narrators introduce themselves. So my name is Sheena. I, um, was born and raised on the west coast of Canada, um, Victoria, BC, um, and I am—I guess I'm 36 years old now. Ooh. Um, yeah, and so I have spent um, only a small part of my life really uh, identifying as non-binary, but I've spent my uh, most of my life identifying as fat. Um, and so uh, I am personally am really excited and interested um, to sort of learn about and discuss and explore sort of intersections around um, gender, sexuality, fatness, um, representation, and all of those things. So I'm really uh, finding, you know, these topics to be really exciting to delve into. Do you mind just telling me a little bit about your family? I have a very small family. Um, We're not very... uh, we're not very good at reproducing. <laughs> um, my mom and dad um, got divorced when I was seven years old. I have a um, younger sister who is uh, seven years younger than me. Um, and she was raised almost exclusively by my mom. And um, from age seven on, I was mostly raised by my mother. Um, my dad lived in Victoria with his new wife, um, I guess until it was about seven years after the divorce. And then he moved across the country to Toronto. And both of my parents are in their own way, very gender non-conforming. And so, you know, what we had basically is two people that didn't really want the role that they ended up finding themselves in as parents um, and being pretty explicit about that really. And so, um, you know, my journey it actually that I only really started in my thirties is kind of coming to terms with that and what I think about that and what it means for me. And, you know, if I, if I wanted to have a family and those kinds of questions. 
Thank you, Sheena. And next up is Liz. My name is Liz, obviously. Um, I I guess I identify both as non-binary and as fat, as as you know, you already know. Um, yeah, I'm in my twenties. Um, graduated uni university a few years ago, uh, and yeah, currently uh, just living in a flat in a city. I have a brother and a sister. They're technically half brother and sister, but it's always just been like brother and sister for me. Um, they're quite a lot older. Um, and I have, well, at the moment, I just have a mum because my dad uh, died a while ago. So that's sort of a brief, brief description, I'd say. And next up, we have Lai. My name is Lai. I'm 28 years old. I identify as non binary, I use they, them pronouns. And I have been working in theater for most of my life at this point. That's um, definitely intersected with being both plus-sized and gender non-conforming in many ways. And can you tell me a little bit about where you were raised? Yeah, so I was actually raised, um, my early childhood was spent hopping around the country. My mother um, had a pretty bad problem with addiction. When I was around five or six years old, I was adopted by her brother, my uncle, who I now refer to as my father, and I was raised in Los Angeles, um, which was definitely, I think, detrimental to my mental image in a lot of ways, because, you know, LA is got a very sort of, uh, how do you say, like, um, there's a very particular standard of how you look there. And I was also raised in this neighborhood with like a lot of sort of thin white Northern European descent people and I being Italian didn't look like them at all. I don't actually know my biological father's side of the family almost at all. I only deal with my uh, maternal side of the family. I'm not particularly close to them because they are, they're not always on board about queer stuff. Um, I've definitely as an adult, now that I'm you know nearing 30, I've, def I've been able to repair that relationship a little bit. Uh, but it's never going to be, you know, what it is for some people, most people, I would say. Uh, and so my chosen family is incredibly important to me because I don't really have that familiar, like familial support. I did grow up pretty poor too. And I think that growing up in poverty and then also being queer has influenced a lot of my life. So after my narrators introduced themselves, I first asked them to discuss their identity as non-binary. I asked them questions such as how they identified in terms of gender, how they came to identify this way, if there were any specific events or experiences that influenced their identity, and what their experience was quote-unquote coming out or sharing their identity with others. I think it's crucial that in order to be able to discuss the intersections of being non-binary and fat and understand um, my narrator's lived experiences identifying in these two categories, we really had to understand first their identity as non-binary. First up, let's hear from Lai again about their experiences with their gender identity. Uh, so I sort of broadly identify as non-binary. Um, I don't 
I have gotten into the nitty gritty of before. There was a long period of time where I was identifying as transmasculine. There was a short period of time just after when I first came out when I was identifying as a trans man. And I kind of quickly realized that that wasn't who I am. Um, I guess nowadays I would call myself something closer to agender. Uh, but to me, the label doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, I just call myself non-binary. Yeah. Um, and kind of what does that mean to you? To me, I think it's really important that people know that non-binary isn't just a third gender that isn't man or woman, that gender is not, I hate it when people are like, oh, gender is a spectrum. It's not a spectrum from man to woman. Gender to me is more like a color wheel or even like 3D or 4D. And, you know, it, there's so many different ways to have gender. And just because I say I'm a gender or non-binary doesn't mean that someone else who uses that same label feels the way that I feel. They may have a completely different gender experience than I do. And so for me, I think, um, I don't know, I feel really, I do feel connected to my feminine side. I identify as a lesbian. Um, but I also, you know, feel very connected to my masculine side at times. I've never, ever felt like a woman. Like I've always, you know, there's this narrative, oh, all trans people have always known. And which is kind of nonsense because they haven't. Many people don't realize till later because of our sort of society really having, you know, cis-centric uh, everything. But I have always known since I was a tiny little kid. And, but I thought, well, no one's not a man or a woman. So, you know, I must be broken. <laughs> and so coming to realize I didn't uh, really hear the word non-binary until I was like 19, 20 years old. Uh, and so hearing that there was not only a word for it, but that other people experienced it absolutely blew my mind. And it made everything make sense all at once. So the thing that I really loved about Lai's explanation about their gender experience was how they described it as not being a spectrum between man and woman, but a color wheel or third or fourth dimension um, type of representation. And I have found that throughout time, um, ideas of sexuality, of gender, have really moved on a binary spectrum. And breaking with that binary, understanding that not everything is just between option A or option B, but in fact, there's so much more than that has been really influential in the field of sexuality, the field of gender, and topics such as that. If anybody else is interested in learning more about the non-binary history of sexuality and gender, I highly recommend you consult George Chauncey's Gay New York, Gender, Urban Culture, and the Making of the Gay Male World, 1890-1930, which was published in 1994 and really argues that prior to World War II, there was a thriving gay world in New York City that expanded binary ideas traditionally seen in reference to gender and sexuality, with a wealth of terms used by gay men to describe their gender experience, gender performance, sexuality preferences, and things like that. But for now, let's hear from Sheena about how they identify in terms of gender. So... You know, for most of my life, um, I did identify as a straight woman, um, but that that didn't really fit me very well for a lot of reasons. Um, and what would happen is I would get into a state of sometimes intoxication, uh, sometimes even just like sort of hypnagogic state, like a waking sleep. 
And I would start sort of becoming convinced that I was actually a gay man because <laughs> my, you know, my rapport with men and my tastes and my um, sort of overall personality and, and all these things really seemed to be pointing that to that to me. But as I went and investigated that, um, it didn't feel so clear cut. And so I now at this point identify as non-binary. I used to think that what that meant for me was that my gender fluctuated in its expression and sometimes I was more masculine and sometimes I was more feminine. And at this point, I think it's actually, I would say I'm agender. I would say that um, that at this time feels the most comfortable to me to feel like since gender is about performance in my perspective and I um, feel like I don't really perform that. Like I have stuff that's inborn traits and I have stuff that codes as feminine, um, but I don't feel like I really perform gender in that way. And so I really do identify as agender, but I'm also very aware that our gender identities fluctuate and change. And, um, and I think that that's a good thing. So I, I am agender right now. I don't know if that's going to change in the future. And on the topic of gender identity, I asked Sheena if they thought there were any events in their life that influenced how they came to view their gender identity as non-binary, specifically as agender. This was their response. My mother and my grandmother, who I spent the most time around growing up, were very gender non-conforming people. So my mother and her mother, um, we all lived in a house for a big part of my childhood. Um, and, you know, after my, my dad left and my mother and my grandmother are both very gender non-conforming. Like my grandmother only ever wore men's clothes. Um, she, you know, never jewelry, never makeup, um, you know, very like she even went by her, um, her deceased husband's name for like 25 years after he passed. And so, you know, that when I look to women as I'm growing up and I'm surrounded by women, I'm surrounded by women that are not very gender conforming. And so I think that kind of makes some room for me. I also had, um, my mother, who is kind of the same way, she she would wear makeup for sort of an expression of gender. But uh, really, at the end of the day, like, you know, she's in athleisure all the time. She doesn't have a lot of female friends. She doesn't, um, you know, I never see her sort of act out this role of, of, of any kind of gender, really. Um, and many people have commented that she's very masculine in a lot of ways. Um, and... You know, I think that both that and the fact that my mother and my grandmother didn't have a lot of uh, female friends in their life, or in the case of my mother, very many friends, um, meant that I didn't see a lot of modeling of what a um, cis woman, I think, would feel typically is like a good model of like feminine socialization or behavior. Or, you know, what I would always feel is, uh, in my adulthood is going out into um, a sort of a homo uh, social group of, of women, I would feel very out of place. And I 
used to think that that was just entirely down to not having that modeled a lot for me as I was growing up, but I think it's a confluence of things. I think that that's one piece of the puzzle. And next up, let's hear from Liz about their experience with their gender identity. Um, yeah, I'd say non-binary. Um, so like they, them, um, fairly recently, like, I guess. I've always like sort of felt some uh, uncomfortableness in my assigned gender. Like I was assigned, you know, female at birth, um, but it never really like was aware into, of non-binary people until I went to uni. And then even then never looked into it until maybe the past year, like, like properly as a thing I could be again since uni and leaving uni have just gotten quite into um I watch a lot of tv and films and stuff but I've also started watching more youtube like um uh, youtube creators who and and a lot of a few of them anyway significant amount of them have ended up either coming out of non-binary or had already been non-binary and explaining it so sort of through that through watching their videos uh that were not about gender and then finding out that they were non-binary and you know, weren't necessarily uh, 100% androgynous. You know, maybe the 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 Google image result you get for non-binary, they would, you know, could present or look a lot of certain ways, um, but still could be non-binary. That was sort of an eye opener for me. And for you, like, what does being non-binary mean for you? Um, I guess a tricky question. Um, I guess just. It's not obviously not fully identifying as a woman in my case, but like still not like I've had many points in my life where I thought, oh, it'd be easier to be a man or in this specific way, it'll be better this specific way, but not ever wanting to sort of say I was or um, have pronouns or anything like that. So that has always been a definite. I don't think I want that. However, there's still this uncomfortableness with the term. Uh, women and the grouping of it I suppose so learning there's a place where I don't have to sort of uh, go fully to either um, I think that's what, why I like using it so as each interview progressed a theme that I saw developing was this topic of gender performance and performing gender performing an identity as non-binary, and what each narrator thought was expected in that. This topic was something that came up again as my narrators began to discuss the intersections between identifying as both non-binary and fat. But before we jump into that, let's hear from each of them a bit about the term fat and their history with their body. I feel, I guess, most comfortable just saying like it as a term that I'm fat um uh, like ever since I got the the comfortableness with the term it's helped a lot um because anything else feels like a like avoiding it like if I were to say like plus size or bigger or something <laughs> it just makes it feel a bit like avoidance I I know that there are terms um to specifically orient yourself within that like small mids fat um super fat infinifat but uh I actually I actually like tried to find before this tried to find out like whereabouts I fit but it just stresses me out looking at like what size counts as what so I just gave up um so yeah short answer just fat and have you always identified this way um no so 
I've definitely always been fatter than my peers, um, but could fit into sort of high street sizes um, up until, I guess, the end of uni. So it's only been moving out um, and gaining more weight that I've not uh, sort of not been able to shop in the high street shops, um, not completely like uh, felt like I fit into like an airplane seat or a tube seat. So at that point when it became less of a, oh, I look a bit different than my friends and it became a sort of structural, I am having difficulties fitting into um, society. That's when I sort of had to find, um, I guess, a community, uh, eat like online, just people to follow and more stuff to read because otherwise I was going to feel quite sad. And now let's hear from Lai about their experience with the term fat. Uh, I am fat. I, that is a word that I feel comfortable reclaiming. Um, and it's something that I have struggled with because, so I've always uh, been, as they say, thick. But when I was young, I was like thin, but I had like big legs and like a big butt and I had a bust and stuff like that. But as I got older, I became fat. And it terrified me uh, because my mother had anorexia. And I grew up in an incredibly, incredibly toxic household when it came to body issues. I remember my mother telling me when I was 16, oh, if I'd married my college boyfriend, you'd be thin. And I was like, I'm 130 pounds, mom, <laughs> like, you know? Uh, so that was sort of the foundation for um, a lifetime of body dysmorphia and disordered eating and just struggling with when you're especially when you're already struggling with like dysphoria and feeling weird in your body when you add in that extra level of it it's just like oh it makes it intolerable and next up is sheena right um i really like fat i think that that um is a really good descriptor i think um every other descriptor that i've had um for myself um, especially like things that are really euphemistic, like chubby, plump, um, oh my God, like fluffy, overweight, um, like over what weight? So um, I find a lot of those words to be words that are used for the comfort of skinny people or people who are not necessarily skinny, but uh, who definitely have a lot of fat phobia. Um, I was really resistant to fat uh, when it started sort of popping up in the social discourse around uh, fat acceptance and things like that. Um, I would say that that would probably have been 2016 that I was um, part of those conversations and I was initially very resistant. And then I just decided that I was gonna start using it because I, a lot of people were talking about having a greater sense of comfort with that word. And so I, um, started using it for myself um, to sort of destigmatize it to the point where I felt like I could use that word like without the stink on it to describe people's bodies who wanted to be described thusly. And so, um, yeah, I just, it started being really liberating. It started to feel like the same way that I felt about my gender at that point, which was, 
right. This doesn't have to be this stigmatized thing. It's just a descriptor. It's just a, some people love labels. Some people hate them. I'm a label lover. So I really like fat and I really like non-binary and those do describe me. Um, and I, and I think that um, a lot of people feel that way. And so you said you didn't always identify with like the term fat, but mm -hmm. have you like kind of always identified as being in a larger body or yeah. those sorts of things? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I gained a lot of weight. I, first of all, I was a person that developed very fast as a kid. Um, and I was not a fat kid, um, despite being called fat a lot in, um, sort of before my teenage years. And then as I sort of went into my teenage years, I was definitely like in the plus sized category. And I probably would have used that word plus size to describe my body. Um, just because fat at that point was literally the worst thing that you could possibly be is better to be a serial killer, um, <laughs> than to be a, a fat woman. Um, and so that, that journey has basically been from my teenagers on. So as you all can hear, as the interviews progressed, as the narrators started to discuss their body, um, some of them were already discussing the intersection between being non-binary and being fat. Um, and my next set of questions really dove into that. We began to discuss how these identities influenced each other um, and how the intersection between identifying as non-binary and fat really impacted them in their daily lives. First, let's hear from Sheena about their experience as a teenager grappling with dysphoria around their body and gender and what that meant for them. You know, what I remember, you know, in those teen years, for example, is feeling really horrified by my breasts. Now, do I feel horrified by them because it's dysphoric or do I feel horrified by them because, you know, my mother thinks of having big breasts as being kind of gross and over-sexual and, you know, has all these sort of negative feelings about them. And she's telling me, like, you need to hide this um, because it's you know, it's, it's kind of disgusting, I guess, in her, in her mind to be like a fat teenage girl, um, with big breasts. And obviously I'm looking at that. I can sense her projection, but what I can't do is prioritize my own feelings over all this incoming stimuli about, you know, this is what your peers think, and this is what your parents think, and this is what your sister thinks. And I think as a teenager, you're trying so hard to figure out your own identity, um, but it has to feel safe for you to explore that. And, um, you know, even at that time, for example, um, the idea that I might be non-binary, like that wasn't in the conversation, those words weren't on the table. And that was a, a level of theoretical discourse that um, was, you know, very much um, not what it is currently, right? So, uh, you know, I even if I checked in with myself, and even if I'd been aware of that dysphoria, I don't know if that's exactly what it was, if, if that was coming to me because of fatness. Maybe if I was like a a very naturally androgynous like tomboy looking person at that age, I wouldn't have 
had those feelings because there had been nothing on my body to stand out, or maybe I would not have, um, maybe I wouldn't have, or maybe I would have had those feelings more so. And, and maybe, you know, it would have been clearer to me because I was just this quite a slight person, you know, and I would have been like, Oh no, I feel like I'm not really a girl, (laughs) you know? So, right. When I asked Sheena if they thought that identifying as non-binary had influenced their identity as fat or vice versa, um, this was their response. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think that these things influence each other for me because, again, fatness if you don't lead with fatness as a non-binary person and yet, and yet you are fat and you don't, kind of don't want to talk about it or use the word, um, for me at least, I feel like I'm inviting, and this is like a negative socialization thing in my view, but I feel like I'm inviting commentary that I don't look the part of a non-binary person. And I've and I've started to not try that hard to, to look the part, to look a certain amount androgynous. Um, first of all, because I just am, I'm red as a woman, and that's just no way around that. <laughs> like I'd have to change everything about my personality and my look, and my, and I would still be left with this fatter body. Um, but it's a thing for me because I want to present. So, so I want to present as a person who is not a cis woman, but is not like butch exactly because a butch presentation to me means I'm out here trying to um, attract cis women or maybe, you know, women who, or, or non-binary people who um, are, are looking for something that's maybe a little bit more sapphic in nature. That, that to me is a real struggle because I look like a butch person if I um, turn down the femininity and if I turn up the femininity, I look, I look like a doll. I look like a, a it, it looks very patently absurd on me. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and some people can really pull that off um, just because of their overall demeanor. And so they can wear that stuff. And if I wore it, I would feel ridiculous. And I, your discomfort is so palpable <laughs> that other people are picking up that you're not buying what you're selling either. So so presentation is, it's, 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 uh, it's a challenge, I feel. And, and the fatness of not being able to like hide the bulk of your body and, and you know, where, for example, I'd like to wear more men's clothes. Um, a lot of men's clothes are really not tailored to my body. And if I wear them, I look, um, even if they were tailored, you know, I'm still going to project to, to me, in my mind, I project like butch lesbian. Um, and that's a beautiful way to look, but it's a misrepresentation of my identity. And it it doesn't communicate the right things. And um, and it feels a, a bit appropriative, honestly, for me. Um, I don't want to like step into that sphere and feel like I'm occupying a space that's not for me. I asked the same question to Liz, and here was what they had to say. That's, that's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if 
if I could say that being fat sort of influenced, I mean, it influenced it in the way I think I said earlier, where um, I feel like if I was able to look more bodily androgynous, I might have thought about the non-binary label earlier or um, felt more comfortable with it. Because the, yeah, it's just before I looked into it or saw more people who weren't, you know 100% androgynous who were non-binary before that point I definitely had it in my head that like oh like no one would take me seriously if I said I was non-binary because like they couldn't tell I have boobs or like I like I like having long hair because it kind of covers my face and it makes me feel a bit more safe because I don't like attention like I said um so yeah it more stalled it I suppose um but now you know seeing so many people who uh, keep some feminine aspects like long hair or um, dresses, but are also and, and can be also fat. And um, but you know that even those two aren't necessarily. You can sort of do what you want and also be non-binary. That that's helped a lot, and that's why it took took a while. I think. And here was Lai's response to the same question. Oh, yeah. I think that, you know, first of all, uh, you know, we had kind of talked about this notion of like uh, what people think of as the typical non-binary person. I think that being fat definitely does not fit into that. I think that, you know, being in this larger, curvier body, you know, that's the other thing is when I was when I was straight sized, I was straight as a board. I was a rectangle. I had no hips. You know, my, my bust and my hips were exactly the same size. I had no waist. I look, I really looked very masculine. So it was very, very easy to sort of, you know, manifest my, you know, the way I wanted to look. And I also felt a lot more comfortable wearing uh, feminine clothing because I felt like, well, I still, you know, am so androgynous looking that it's fine. Whereas now I, uh, you know, I, or, not really now, but like I did go through a period of time once I, I did, you know, get bigger where I felt I had to be performatively masculine to even be read as trans at all because I felt that I didn't look androgynous anymore. Um, and that was very difficult for me. Um, I think that um, I think that queer spaces are really bad about um, about fat phobia. I think that, you know, a lot of that comes from sort of like the white cis gay uh, culture, like gym culture thing, but I think it's leaked over a lot into other aspects of queer life. And um, I think that that's, you know, been very difficult for me. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. And I, I also think that oftentimes I think when, when I think about missed opportunities in my life, when I think about you know, my career or whatever else, I think, well, maybe if I had been thin and non-binary, they could have tolerated it. Or if I had been fat and cis, they could have tolerated it. But the combination of the two is just too much for a lot of people. Um, and it's made it very difficult to navigate the world. Um, but I think it's made me, again, like really double down in terms of, no, I'm not wrong. I need to, you know, I'm okay as I am. I need to find other people that are like this. I need to get rid of the people that are not willing to accept me for this. So after hearing these responses, it became really obvious to me that the intersection between non-binary and fat is prominent 
and these two identities were not two identities that can be separated. That for each of my narrators, being fat played a really important role in how they thought about themselves as non-binary and how that reflected into the world around them. With each of my narrators, our conversations went in different ways as they began to tell me more about who they were and the things that mattered to them and the issues that they faced most prominently as identifying as non-binary and fat. For example, Lai and I got onto the topic of the Health at Every Size movement and about their experiences with healthcare providers being both non-binary and fat. Here was what they had to say. Why don't I tell you about what happened with my top surgery? Um, so I, uh, a few years ago, it was, I think it was uh, 2018, I finally decided that, you know, despite the fact that I was, you know, waiting on tea or maybe not gonna do tea, I did really want top surgery for multiple reasons. Um, because, you know, I have a lot of sensory issues as a person with ADHD and also, you know, dysphoria and this and that. I just felt like I would be happier. So I went to, uh, I so when in Boston, they have a uh, queer and transgender specific um, clinic called Fenway Health. So I went to Fenway Health and they got me all set. They gave me both of my letters from my physician and from, uh, you know, a therapist. And I did all this research on uh, different doctors in the area and their prices and their results. And I finally found one that I really wanted to go to. And uh, I, fi you know, I got on the list for uh, a consultation and in months, I had to wait months to go to this consultation. Finally, I get in there, I'm very nervous. And, you know, he goes me the whole spiel and he's like, you know, we get the whole thing sorted. He's like, great. So all you have to do is lose about 20 pounds and then you'll be within the safe BMI. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Apparently, there is a BMI that you have to be within to get top surgery um, because you won't heal right. And I quote uh, otherwise, because, you know, what if what if I had, you know, what if my appendix burst? What if my something happened to my gallbladder? I had to have surgery taken out that would you not do it because I wouldn't heal right. Like, you know, it's ridiculous. So I was like, you know what? This is nonsense. And this was like right in the middle of me really struggling with, you know, all of this stuff and struggling to to finally be at peace with my body. This was during that year where I like really wasn't leaving the house at all. And so this really was like a huge blow to me. So I decided for my health that it would be better to find another doctor instead of trying to lose this weight. So I um, went to another doctor who had a, a more reasonable BMI, but it was still a BMI that I had to lose weight for. And at this point, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this right now because right now I think my mental health and my journey on making peace with my body is is you know more important to this and i feel like if i go into this notion of i gotta lose x amount of pounds that is going to be a disaster for me because i'm going to fall right back into old patterns i'm going to fall right back into disordered eating and i don't need that right now <laughs> like i'm actually finally getting to a place where like maybe i'm going to come out the other side of this i'm not turning around for that and so i actually still to this day i have my i did a whole fundraiser i have all this money like sitting waiting for whenever I, I can find a surgeon to operate on me, which I don't know if that will ever happen. Um, at this point, I'm now reconsidering and thinking maybe I'll get a breast reduction because that'll, you know, at least do something. But um, I, uh, yeah, it was, it's really horrible that basically I don't get gender affirming care because I'm fat. And that was, you know, something that's, it's really, 
still really a sensitive thing for me to think about. And it's, you know, we need to do better. We really need to like, especially like there's already so little trans specific healthcare. We need to do better by our fat people. It's really not fair. Well, Lai and I got on the topic of healthcare and they were gracious enough to share this extremely personal story about being denied gender affirming care because of their body size. Sheena and I got on to the topic of representations of non-binary and fat people on social media. Here was what they had to say. When you're like flipping through a picture book essentially with Instagram, I think it's really important to see a large number of people who look like you have your experience filtered back to you. Um, a lot of the people that I know that are fat and non-binary who have a lot of misery about their body or a lot of, um, you know, loathing or discomfort or whatever it is, um, are also people that for whatever reason feel compelled to seek out those images of people who do not look like them, who are not living those same kinds of experiences that they are, who have, you know, an infinite number of resources and, and access. Um, and I don't know, I think my perspective is you're kind of setting yourself up for a bad time if you do that. Um, I certainly learned my lesson. Um, so now I would say at this point, my Instagram is entirely just people I know, cats um, and, <laughs> and, and fat people or non-binary people or people with other marginalized identities who I really like and respect what they have to say about themselves. And so I trust them to um, produce either responsible images, so not promoting anything, like just talking about themselves. Um, they're not trying to sell you something. Um, or people who are, you know, speaking authentically about their experiences. And so, you know, get all the people who are trying to sell you detox tea out of there. Um, <laughs> not interested. So, um, and, and that's been really good. And just trying to filter out um, diet content or exercise regimes being sold to you or, you know, things that are going to reinforce this message that you have to change yourself before you're allowed to fully participate in society. Um, and I've been somewhat successful. There's some social media platforms that are better than better at that than others. Um, and I think things like I used to go on Pinterest for um, recipes and stuff like that. And I just, <laughs> you know, there's some social media platforms where, you know, because of the way the algorithm is written, um, you know, you really end up in a very narrow, narrow, narrow aesthetic as far as like what is permitted to exist in this world. You can look up fat bodies and get a bunch of skinny bodies on a very powerful search algorithm. And it's just because people don't want to use the, the, the media platform that way. They want to use it as wish fulfillment rather than, you know, something that I think is a little bit more authentic to what we all actually look like and what, how we all actually live. Um, so yeah. I really wanted to be respectful of my narrator's time. So as much as I wish I could have continued to talk to them and continued to hear all of their wonderful thoughts, opinions, and experiences about society and moving through the world 
identifying as both non-binary and fat. I did have to eventually bring the interviews to a close, and to do that, in the spirit of the great oral historian Don Ritchie, I asked each narrator if there was any question they wish I had asked that I didn't, that they wanted to answer or give me more information on. I again want to make clear that this podcast is composed of just snippets of the oral history interviews that were conducted, and some of these clips may appear not in their full context or out of order, um, as well as with some small editing as far as names being cut out or personal information being cut out. But it was my hope that they maintained their true essence and the true meanings of the words that the narrators were speaking. I am extremely, extremely grateful to Sheena, Liz, and Lai for their willingness to share their stories and experiences with me. Their courage in discussing topics that can sometimes be hard to talk about, let alone with a stranger over a virtual oral history session, inspires me. And while this project was only a semester long, I hope to continue to be able to talk and learn from fat people about their experiences in relation to being fat and other aspects of their identities. This is something I'm really passionate about, and it's something I hope I can continue to explore as a historian and incorporate into my scholarship moving forward. With that being said, I would love to talk to people who have differing identities and are also fat. If you want to chat or have questions or ideas or just want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter at Rosie Rose Kane. I hope there will be more episodes of And Fat, but that's all for this one. So thank you for tuning in to this first episode of And Fat. I'm your host, Rosie Kane, and I will talk with you next time. Music is courtesy of my wonderful fiancé, Alex Moore. This podcast is written and produced by Rosie Kane.